Last episode, we took you through the basics of hemp lime building. We learned that you can put hemp, lime, and water in a bucket and build a wall. But that's just the very beginning of starting a plant-based building industry. But before we get into that, a quick housekeeping note. Much has changed in the world since the recording of the first part of our season, and our format is going to change a bit too. From now on, there will be two ways we deliver trace material. One, in the narrative style that you're used to. And two, we'll be introducing Trace Material Talking Shop, which will be more free-flowing conversations with folks in the hemp world. And as one last note, joining me as co-host today is Burgess Brown, who has been behind the scenes but is now stepping into the bright lights and glamour of a socially distant at-home audio booth. Hi, Ava. I'm excited to be joining you from my bedroom closet. So this episode, we're going up to the Great White North to take a peek at the hemp industry that's been bubbling up there for a while. Canada legalized hemp in 1998, and immediately people began experimenting with at least a few hundred of those thousands of purported uses. To understand what's happening in Canada, we reached out to Chris Magwood, who's been working in the sustainable building industry there for over two decades. We think that we've built the greenest home in Canada. Welcome back to Trace Material. My name is Chris Magwood. I work at the Endeavour Centre, which is a sustainable building school in uh, Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. And we focus on teaching people how to build uh, zero carbon, zero waste, zero toxin buildings. One of the first things you have to know about Chris is that he isn't only a hemp lime builder. Chris works in a long tradition of plant-based building. Until about the beginning of the 20th century, people built with the materials that were around them. And those materials were often plants. I call myself a, a natural building omnivore. So <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not completely attached to any one material. And to that point, Chris didn't burst into the sustainable building world with hemp in mind. His earlier projects used a material that I'm sure you're familiar with, straw. Back in the 90s, Chris and his partner started researching sustainable building practices, and they stumbled upon straw bale building. At first, it seemed too out there and maybe even laughable. Unlike a lot of the other things we were researching, it seemed kind of outrageous but then for every question that we had about it, there was actually a really good answer. And so rather than being a joke, it sort of ended up being the thing that we, we found, you know, the most sort of attractive of all the options that, that we had come across. And, and so we just dove in and built that first house. Chris and his partner were reading about and basing their work off the straw bale houses that were built in the Great Plains states from the 1880s to the 1920s by white settlers. A lot of them had very early versions of the horse-powered stationary balers, and so they literally were baling this stuff to feed their animals, but somebody, you know, both clever and desperate, looked at that sort of big fuzzy building block and decided that that might make a good home. And so, you know, scattered throughout that area of Nebraska, there are um, a whole bunch of still existing, still inhabited uh, straw bale homes. Straw bale homes don't look very different from traditional homes. As Chris explained, the straw bale is packed into the wall and then sealed with plaster and paint. 
Straw bale construction is literally kind of taking the rectangular, small rectangular bales of straw that sort of doesn't really have any food value um, and quite often no real value on the farm, at least in the, in the quantities it's grown in. And so we basically take those bales of straw and use them as large insulation blocks that we use to build the walls of, uh, of homes and, and commercial buildings from. And that sounds a lot like the way we've described hemp lime, right? Both hemp lime and straw bale are used as insulation. Chris was first introduced to building with hemp as just another form of straw bale when hemp was first legalized in Canada in the late 90s. It wasn't really on my radar until literally this farmer, Grant Warcroft, who lived down the road from me, phoned me and said, hey, I know you're making straw bale buildings. I got a barn full of hemp straw bales. Do you want to come and take a look? Chris's neighbor Grant was a very early hemp farmer in Canada. But unlike Chris, he didn't get involved because he was looking for sustainable solutions to modern problems. Instead, hemp kind of found him. When I actually went to visit him, he was definitely not, you know, there, there's a certain person that's very interested in hemp. And he wasn't particularly, as a farmer, he is just running a small mixed farm. He's the fourth generation uh, on that farm. The early crop in that area was hemp. And then when hemp was illegal, they started growing other things. But both Grant's dad and Grant spent most of their farming life trying to get rid of this feral hemp that just kept, you know, reseeding and, and kind of coming up as a weed in their fields, in their ditches, all around their barn. And so when it became legal to grow hemp, Grant's take wasn't, you know, he wasn't excited about it so much as like, oh, hemp has all this potential. It's just like, I've been trying to kill this stuff my entire life, and now somebody might pay me to grow it. So using Grant's hemp stalks, Chris and his partner started playing around with other techniques beyond using hemp bales. Now in the late 90s, people in Canada were just figuring out how to farm hemp. So using it as a building material was a really wild idea. You know, we just started playing around with, first of all, how do you, you know, chop the stuff up? So using different machinery on Grant's farm, you know, from the, the straw bale building that I'd done, we work a lot with lime and lime plasters. So I had a pretty good notion of how lime worked and what types of lime there were. Based on that, we started just messing around with recipes. But the heyday of hemp growing in the early aughts in Canada didn't last long. And so Chris, who's dedicated to using local materials, has diversified. One of the limiting factors in how much hemp I've built with is that in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was a bit of a hemp growing boom because that's when it became legal to grow industrial hemp uh, in Canada again. And so for a while, we were using hemp a lot. And then, uh, you know, the vast majority of those farmers within a few years stopped growing hemp because the, the processing facilities and sort of the, the uptake of the, the products they were trying to grow for never materialized and so it stopped being a, a feasible crop for them and so suddenly it went from being I could go get these hemp bales or this chopped hemp from a farmer who lived 10 minutes down the road from me to oh now I'm trying to order hemp from western Canada or something like that. Chris is certainly not someone who's stuck in his ways so the loss of locally grown hemp didn't deter him it only pushed him to innovate. Recently he started working with sunflower stalks. Yep you heard that right He's making buildings out of sunflowers. One fall, I was cleaning up our garden, which had a lot of sunflowers, and I was cutting down, you know, these dead stalks in the fall. And I, you know, chopped the sunflower down, and I took a look at, at it, and I was like, 
wow, if I didn't know better, you know, if I was just looking at the core of this plant, I would think I was looking at hemp. Chris described himself as a natural building omnivore. He wants to use local, healthy, and sustainable ingredients. In our conversation with him, he highlighted the importance of flexibility when choosing materials. There isn't a one-size-fits-all answer. If and when hemp scales to the point where there's a lot of herd around, people living close to that should use that for building. And if you live in a sunflower-growing area, there's no point in importing hemp from the other side of the country if there's sunflowers in your backyard. You know, that's where that regional appropriateness kind of comes into play. And if not sunflowers or hemp, there's probably some other, you know, woody plant stem that's, that's growing there. Scale really is key here. Modern plant-based building in the U.S. is currently a boutique industry. Plant-based builders construct one-off buildings for clients who are dedicated to sustainability. But what would it take for this boutique industry to become mainstream and accessible? Chris says we have to take a look at every part of the supply chain. If it's not, you know, a whole lot cheaper, then essentially you're asking me to change everything I do to make the same amount of money. Where's the incentive to do that at every stage in the supply chain? That that question kind of keeps coming up, not with that it's not practical or the right thing to do from an environmental point of view, but it just it lacks the kind of financial model that we're used to in a, in a sort of industrial society. So, is there a middle ground? Is there a way to maintain a dedication to environmental sustainability and human health while working at a scale that makes hemp lime accessible, not just for homeowners, but for even affordable housing developers? We, and others in the industry, think so. And it starts with practicality. Chris points out that we can't ask builders or architects or developers to change everything they are doing. So we have to find a way to make hemp lime fit into the existing building and construction systems. Chris currently mixes hemp lime on his job sites and pours it in place. We think that if there were precast hemp lime products for sale across the U.S., they might find their way into a wider variety of homes. There is a caveat here. As Chris mentioned, there was a serious drop-off in Canadian hemp supply in the early 2000s. Farmers just stopped growing it because the local processing facilities didn't materialize. We heard about some early U.S. processing problems, too, when we visited Harrods Creek Farm down in Kentucky. Sorting out the supply chain is going to be key in ensuring that hemp lime products are viable in the U.S. Next time, join us for our first edition of Trace Material Talking Shop. HML co-founder John Sarah Ruth will be talking to Cameron McIntosh about hemp lime building in the U.S. and how it can go from boutique to mainstream. Trace Material is a project of Parsons Healthy Materials Lab at the New School. It is produced by me, Burgess Brown, Ava Robinson, and the HML team. Thank you to Chris Magwood for lending his voice and experience to this episode. And thank you to friends of Healthier Materials who make this podcast possible. Our theme music is Rainbow Road by Cardioid. Additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Alison Mears, co-director of Parsons Healthy Materials Lab. If you're interested in learning more about how the built environment may be affecting your health, please visit us at healthymaterialslab.org. If you want to dig into materials beyond hemp, we've got a great list of healthier choices of everything from paint to insulation to biofabricated materials. 